1: Hey, everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Beekeeping for Newbies. We're rolling in here to episode 20. So this week I'm calling it Weak Hives and Queen Intros. So we're going to talk about what we're doing with weaker colonies and colonies that uh, maybe colonies that are looking like they may not make it through the winter. So we'll talk about some of the things we can do with them. And also there's something that's been on my list for a long time, how you introduce uh, mated queens into a colony. And a couple different tips and, and tricks for that, so we're definitely going to cover that as well. First thing I want to jump right into is a couple of follow ups from the last episode. Uh, as you might remember, a listener emails Michael had emailed and, and was asking about some suggestions how to minimize weeds and things around the hives themselves, and you know try to you know just general weed control around your hives within your apiary. Uh, The suggestions I had were kind of relatively generic. I didn't really have anything great on that one. But Laura out in Washington had reached out, and and she kind of threw a suggestion out that I thought was great, and I wanted to share it with everybody. And this is what she does just for her regular garden just to kind of, you know, maintain some weed control. So I'll read you kind of a, a quote from what she wrote me. She basically says, cardboard, specifically thick, large pieces of cardboard from plumbers or auto body shops. They often have copper staples, but these are easy to remove and worth the effort for the larger surface area. I don't like the appearance of the cardboard, so I add a layer of mulch. Then I plant my flowers from there, and, and she mentions that cardboard decays over time, of course, but, you know, when the when the weeds start to come back, you just repeat the process the following year. So I thought that was a great suggestion. Laura, thank you so much for sharing that. Michael, I hope that helps you out. I know that's something I'm, I'm definitely going to try myself because I think that, that might be a... Uh, you know, a good kind of path forward. So that's pretty awesome. The next follow-up I have, I I got a couple of emails and they were, they were cool. It wasn't anybody being angry or anything, but they were respectfully asking um, if I had anything against the West Coast or the Northeast, (laughs) since I had indicated in the previous podcast that I was thinking about maybe traveling around a little bit and and just maybe doing some inspections with folks, maybe doing a, uh, an interview, talking to people about things that are going on, just kind of a way to, get out and meet some people and, and lend a hand and have a little bit of fun with it. And I, I commented that I was probably not going to go to New England or to the West Coast. So I kind of want to explain that a little bit. After I uploaded it, I started thinking about that, that I really didn't do a good job articulating my reasoning behind that and excluding those areas. When I travel and I'm kind of out and about, I'm going to be in a 32-foot RV. Now, you know, I've lived on the East Coast my whole life. Uh, with the exception of a little bit of time in the Army. But I've driven, you know, from Florida to Maine, you know, everywhere in between multiple times, you know, grew up in the D.C. area. I know all about traffic and driving in it and dealing with it and all of that. The biggest issue in my mind really is is the traffic. There's just so much traffic going up and down that I-95 corridor. I really don't want to mess with it. But just as big of a factor for me are the tolls. Like the last time I took 95 and I went from, you know, the D.C. area all the way to Maine – it was pretty brutal on the tolls. I mean, now they got the easy pass and you can go through really quickly, but it's still really expensive. Uh, I've actually, I've got family. My godparents and my god sisters live in New Jersey. Like I, I owe them a visit. So if you're listening, I'm really sorry that I haven't come to see you in a long time. But I, I don't like the fact that you can't pump your own gas in New Jersey. There's something really odd and suspect about that. So I'm not a huge fan. For those of you who don't know about this or never heard about this, if you go to New Jersey, like you just, you can't you can't pump your gas like you have to have an attendant has to come up and actually pump your gas for you it's kind of weird but over the course of my my career when I was in sales and everything I had customers in DC Maryland Delaware New Jersey Massachusetts you know I've traveled extensively off the Northeast in fact if you're ever in the west of Boston area and you're looking for the best lobster roll in the sort of free world or whatever we have left you have to check out a place called the takeaway it's in norwood massachusetts i stumbled on this place it's kind of like a seafood market you know food type place found them several years ago when i was visiting a customer i was looking for a lobster roll got in there right as the guy was opening up had a chance to talk to him for about a half hour great story i think he's like a five generation you know um operator of this you know place has been in business for 100 years or whatever but super super nice folks Great lobster roll. So you got to go see them. That's the takeaway in Norwood, Massachusetts. But anyway, back to the uh, the topic at hand here. I just, it's really traffic tolls, congestion, and being in a 32-foot RV. I'm trying not to be in an urban area with that, trying to figure out how to park and where to go and all those things. Out west is kind of a little bit of a similar situation. I'm quite honestly just not planning to go all the way out that far. So that's really the big driver, but... Years ago, I actually had Navy and NASA customers out in California. So I've traveled there quite a bit. I worked briefly for a San Francisco-based company. And uh, I remember some time I spent out there. Uh, San Francisco really was a big disappointment to me because it was such a beautiful city and it had so much to offer. And last time I was there, the, the smell of feces and urine all over the place was just atrocious. So i I don't think I'll ever go back again, and it's a real shame. It's a... Beautiful place. L.A., honestly, I went to L.A. about two years ago. It wasn't that much different. It wasn't as bad, but it really was not great. So, California is just not on the list for me just for safety and hygiene. It's just kind of gross. So, uh, nothing personal against the states or the people or whatever. I just I don't want to be out there. Uh, so, all that kind of being said, I would really rather stick to, you know, more rural or, or even some suburban areas that can accommodate my land yacht and, uh Kind of go from there. So I'm nothing personal. It's not political. You know, I'm, you know, all politicians are equally worthless, and they all want everybody in the, in the country fighting each other so that we can't worry about getting rid of them, which is the real problem. Anyway, that's as far as I'll go on politics. All right, a couple of quick personal updates. Just got back from the AP area after spending a few days down there. I did finally get the, uh, the RV out of there to exercise it, and the new driveway... Worked. I discovered that it's a little bit more narrow than it should be, so I did cut about seven or eight more trees down the other day. And I've got a little bit of cleanup to do on that still, but at least I was able to get out and get the propane tank topped off and empty all the other things out of it, get the gas tank filled up, and uh, she's pretty well ready to go and get out on the road here in the next few weeks. Did a little bit of work on my burn pile. So that's ready to go. I got about an hour's worth of uh, moving some things around. And I should get that thing ablaze here in the next week or two. We got some rain coming in this week. So my plan is to try and take advantage of that and get that thing thing burning. My existing colonies are doing pretty well. I don't have a whole lot of excitement to report. I need to refill my, my pollen and sugar syrup feeders probably this weekend. I will also be swapping out my solid bottom boards for screen bottom boards and the temperatures being what they are and as hot as it's been they need all the help they can get on the on the ventilation side i would say the only bad news I have with my colonies right now is I did lose a, I had a failed split. This was a more later season split. And, and for whatever reason, I just, I think I didn't have enough nurse bees to care for the young larvae and to create the queen cell that I was hoping that they would make the emergency cell. They just didn't have the resources to do it. Didn't quite work out. I also had a swarm and I believe that the queen did not make it back from her mating flight. So I actually combined those bees using a technique I'll discuss here in a little bit, and I moved them into another colony where they're all living quite happily now, and and things are going well for them, so that's good to hear. Lastly, I am officially done with the heat. I think I've hit my threshold here. It was 95 today with the heat index over 100, so if you're up north uh, or somewhere that uses the Celsius system, it's about 35 degrees Celsius with a heat index around 38 or 39 I'm not, I'm just, I'm burned out, man. I've, I've lived in the South my whole life and I think I've, I've just hit my threshold. So on that note, anybody who's beekeeping in like Montana, Idaho, North Dakota, South Dakota, you know, somewhere up North, definitely ping me and let me know. I'd love to hear about some challenges that you face and how things are going for you and any kind of tips, tricks, winterization techniques you use, and, you know, more about your nectar flow. My assumption is going to be anywhere where the climate's a little bit cooler like that, you're probably going to just start later, have a longer flow, and then end earlier. That would be my expectation, but I need to do a little more research myself because I got this heat thing is just not cutting it for me. Okay, so we're going to jump right on in here. So the first topic I've got on the list here is mated queen introductions. Thinking about the two general types of queens that we're going to have, it's either going to be a virgin queen or a mated queen. So if you've bought packaged bees, you should have a queen cage with a mated queen. If you have done a split or you've had a colony that has recently swarmed and left a queen cell behind, you would then have a virgin queen. Pretty simple, straightforward. We've talked about this before. We're going to dive a little bit deeper in this and talk about like a laying queen versus a mated queen. If you take a queen that is in a colony and she's a laying queen and she's doing her thing and you move her into a queen cage, usually within hours, the thing, there will be physiological changes in her. Her size will start to diminish and, the, and this is something that's not visibly not, noticeable, but something that I, that I have been told that the actual amount of queen pheromone will begin to diminish if she's not actively laying which is really interesting, right? If you think about package bees or you think about time you're introducing a queen from a cage, well, that queen's not laying anymore. She is a mated queen, but she's not a laying queen. And this will be important later on when we discuss another, another technique, but typically you would see either a virgin queen or a mated queen in your colony. So what scenarios would exist where we need to introduce a queen? So let's talk about that. You have a, maybe you're doing a split. So you have a strong colony You've decided that you've located your existing queen. You want to establish a new colony from the excessive amount of resources that you have during the spring nectar flow. You either breed your own queen or maybe you take a queen cell from another colony or from even from your stronger colony. And then you make your split and you put your queen cell in. So if you put your queen cell in, then you're not really doing any kind of introduction, right? The queen will be born into the colony She'll look around, make sure there's no other queen cells, no other queens. She does her mating flight. She comes back. But in a, a much quicker way of doing things would be to go ahead and bring in a mated queen. So with that scenario, typically what we would do is we would, have the, we would complete the split. We would take our queen cage. We would put it into the new colony as we've kind of instructed in the past. Right? And I'll go ahead and just tell you real quick in case you didn't catch some of those earlier episodes. What I do is when you look at the queen cage, one side has a piece of cork, keeping the entrance, one entrance closed. The other side will have a piece of cork and then behind that will be a big block of sugar, typically, some kind of fondant or you know sugar candy. I take a nail, I remove the piece of cork that is covering that sugar fondant and then I push the nail at the top edge all the way in so it makes a little bit of a hole so you can see all the way through. That's just something I do to kind of get started on breaking up that big hunk of sugar candy that's in there. That way the bees, the workers that are trying to get that queen free can do so a little bit quicker and easier. And then when I insert the cage into the colony, I will use the strap that's already on it if it has one, and you can just set it in between two frames and then put the strap on top of a frame and staple it down. Or you can just squeeze two frames together, just push it against the queen queen cage, and that should hold it in place. But you want to do it with the sugar up. That way, as they eat through it, if any workers were to die inside the cage, any of the attendants that are inside the cage, they won't die and fall down and block the entrance. So you'll want to keep that sugar block or that sugar candy facing up. So, again, great technique. Nothing wrong with that. We, we do it with package bees. You can do it with, you know, any scenario where you're doing a split or somebody is sending you or giving you a queen. That's a pretty common approach. Another approach that would be used would be to do what they call direct introduction. So what I could do, let's say, for example, I was breeding my own queens and my queens were were ready to go. And I took my queen cells and I put them into mating nukes. And then the queen, the virgin queens were born they came out, they went and did their mating flights, they came back. I verified, you know, a week and a half, two weeks later, that they are in fact laying, everything looks good. I put her into a cage temporarily, I'm talking for maybe an hour or so. I go over to where I'm doing my split, I pull all my frames out, put them into a nuke, I walk over with that queen and I maybe set her down on the frame so they can s- smell her and kind of get used to her, but I open up and do a direct release. If you have a colony that does not have a queen, there's no queen in that colony, there's no queen pheromone, and they've got nothing, they will get very excited about having a mated queen, particularly a laying queen. I mean, she can walk in there and all is right in the world. Now, I would caution you, I have heard of a scenario where a colony actually had more than one queen for a period of time, and then you introduce this other queen Direct, you know, directly in and they will ball her, wrap her up and and kill her. So I've done it both ways. I've done in you know, the caged introduction, I've done the direct introduction. I've had success with both. I actually did have a colony that I I messed up on where I took a mated queen and inserted her into a colony that still had a queen. It was completely my fault. I missed her. I thought that I had moved her in the split and that she was actually in another colony and she was not. She was left behind. They bawled the new queen, and that was it. She was gone. So that kind of stinks. It happens. It's one of those mistakes that we make, you know, in, in part of the beekeeping journey. I did it. So with the two techniques there, right, the direct introduction or the caged introduction, they, they kind of both have their place, and I'm not going to say that one's better than the other. I like the idea of using a queen that was laying, you know, an hour ago and then moving her directly into a colony and letting her letting her do her thing. Uh, Anytime you have a chance to use a a mated or laying queen, I would take that hands down over a queen cell anytime because your time frame is better. You still don't have to worry about the hazards of the queen getting mated when she goes out on her flight. So I like those two techniques. The last one I want to talk about is a a caged introduction, and I feel like there is a a name for this cage, and it drives me nuts I can't remember what it is. But you're going to take a, a frame of drawn comb. And what you'll do is take some hardware cloth, roughly probably a section that's going to be maybe about six or seven inches by six or seven inches, so roughly like 15, 16 centimeters by 15, 16 centimeters. And you're going to bend the edges over, so you'll have roughly probably about an inch of hardware cloth that's kind of bent over on the edges all the way around. And then you're going to press that cage into, now you'll you'll do this, of course, you'll have the queen ready to go and some attendants and all of that. But what you're going to do is you're going to press the cage that you just made into the comb in an area that basically just seals the cage inside that section of drawn comb. When you're putting that into the drawn comb, you'll have your queen and a couple of attendants in there before you close that in. And then you'll now have a space where the queen can begin laying eggs. They'll have attendants through there. Her pheromone can get into the colony. And she's safe behind this cage. So I've, this is a technique I've seen before, seen it used very effectively. It's great because if you think about it, the queen is now actively laying again. She's not stuck in a cage waiting to be freed. I have not actually done this technique before. But I've seen it, heard of it, heard of a lot of success with it. I think it makes sense, uh, you know, given the right circumstances. At, you know, as I'm focusing more on volume and and uh, a larger scale, you know, that's something that I probably wouldn't do at where I'm trying to be. But at the recreational capacity, I think it makes a lot of sense. Hey, everyone, thank you for listening. I hope that you're enjoying the show and are finding the information to be useful and valuable. In order to help keep the lights on, we do need to take a quick commercial break. Thank you so very much for hanging in there. And I appreciate you. We will be right back. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. All right, everyone, welcome back, and thank you for staying with us today. As always, feel free to reach out if you have any questions or comments. I always enjoy hearing about your experiences, answering questions, and learning more about the challenges you're facing in different parts of the world. So please keep them coming. It's Jeff at beekeepingfornewbies.com. Now let's get back to the show on the Beekeeping for Newbies radio network. Okay, that's not a real thing, but I'm trying to make it sound more official, so just play along, all right? Thanks a lot. All right, folks, so now I want to jump in here and talk about combining weak or queenless hives couple of ways to do this. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's probably a scientifically tested and proven method. I don't know for sure, but let me tell you what I do. So let's say I have a queenless colony. Like I just mentioned earlier where I had, um, I've got one that, that they just did not make a queen from the, uh, young larva that I had provided to them. So there's a bunch of bees in there that are getting older anyway, but they're still useful bees. They need to be in a colony. Since they, they are not used to having a queen, there's no queen pheromone, and they're really just kind of floundering, what I'm going to do with them is I'm going to go over to a, a larger colony. I'm to, just like I'm doing an inspection, I'm going to open things up, put some smoke down, and then I will. Um, I don't even think there's enough of like a frame of bees in this kind of donor colony. So I'll probably just take whatever bees are laying around, and a, you know, after I've smoked that area, I'll just shake the bees right onto the frames, let them go in and do their thing. And and that's pretty much it. In general, when I'm doing something like that with the queenless colony, they tend to not have a whole lot of bees. But if they do, I try to find a frame or two inside the colony that has very few bees on it already. And what I'll do then is pull one of those frames out, insert the frame from the original donor colony, and that way it's got all their bees kind of together, drop them in, and then I'll just shake off a couple from the original frame that I pulled out. Now, as I mentioned in the beginning, this is something that would be applicable for a queenless colony going into a a colony with a, a maiden and laying queen. Now, if you are in a situation where you have a colony that is having some kind of a problem, maybe they're not as productive, maybe there's something that you know is wrong with the queen and... You're just not feeling good about her in general, and you feel like maybe it's time to replace her anyway, but you don't have any stock. It's a smaller, weaker colony. You have no available queens that you can use at this time of year, and it just makes sense to eliminate her and move her bees into another colony. There is still some queen pheromone present, right? So, so you don't want to be in a situation where you drop a bunch of bees into a new colony and them automatically feel like there's a competing queen Now, I feel like there's a couple different ways even that you can take this. What I would do, though, is I would go ahead and take the original queen first, the one that you know you're going to be eliminating. I would go ahead and and give her the hive tool test and get get her taken care of first. Give it a day or so to let that queen pheromone die down, and then you'll be introducing these bees into a colony that has a queen, and they'll be excited about that, and everything should be fine. In general, I've had really good luck combining colonies just by masking pheromone and scent signals through smoke. That's worked really, really well. I haven't had a lot of problems with that. The bees are pretty adaptive. They do a great job of just adapting to whatever circumstances that they're in. I just would add a tiny little bit of caution if you're doing something that you know, from a colony with a mated queen to a colony that did, that ha- also has one. I would just say to use a little bit of caution if you're going from, you know, um, moving workers from a colony with a queen into another colony with a different queen. There could be some potential for some, some issues there, which leads into another technique. I've never done this one before either, but it's a way, it's a way that might make that scenario have a higher li- likelihood of success. And it's basically like taking a couple of sheets of newspaper. So what you do, you have your original colony. Let's say you had two deep brood chambers on there, and you wanted to add in some more workers from another colony. You wanted to join them, and that queen had been eliminated. You had gotten rid of her, but you wanted to just gradually introduce them. You would put a couple of pieces of newspaper on top of that second deep, and then you would bring in the brood chamber deep from the donor or the the, the combining colony on top of that newspaper, And what happens is, you know, over the course of the next week or so, the bees will kind of eat through that paper and they would gradually get used to each other's difference in scent and different, you know, differences in their pheromone of their queenless colony versus the colony that has the queen. And it's more of a gentle introduction. Honestly, I don't think it's necessary. I just don't think that it's going to make that big of a difference. I think it's going to make a mess inside the colony, quite frankly. But I have heard that this is another way of doing it. And again, the way that I think it would be most applicable if you were doing this technique would be if you had a queen that you just removed. You just removed her, and then you want to bring these bees in. But even so, like I said, I've had pretty good results with just smoking alone. I think the real key is to make sure that in the new frames and, and groups of new workers that you're bringing in, that you just make sure you don't actually have a queen in there, because then you get into a situation where potentially you were trying to get rid of a weaker queen, weaker colony, and you know, just donate some workers to the stronger colony, and now you end up with potentially losing your stronger queen in a fight with this weaker queen for whatever reason, or, or this inferior queen, so you definitely don't want that to happen. So I'll take a second real quick and jump into some listener emails. In fact, I think I'm only going to cover one of them today. I've got a, I've got a few of them that came in that we're going to discuss in the, uh, I think in the next episode because it's a little bit more drawn out. But this is kind of important and, and really cool. So Kimberly in Bristol, Virginia, reached out. She um, sent several pictures, great pictures of what's going on within her colony. She was suspecting European foul brood. Uh, I looked at the pictures she sent. Now, you know, full transparency here, I don't see a lot of foul brood. I've been very fortunate that I haven't had issues with it. I've had everything else under the sun, but foul brood one of them I have not had to deal with. But she sent the pictures in, and I looked at it, and I was pretty sure that I that I agreed with her assessment. I pulled up a couple things just to kind of refresh my memory. And uh, it turns out that, that, you know, she did get a couple of folks who came in and took a look at things, and, and they kind of gave like a secondary confirmation that, that she is definitely facing uh European fowl brood out there, and, and she's going to kind of go through a process here to try and salvage the hive and hopefully recover things. I talked to her via email, and we're actually going to get her on uh, probably for the next episode, so sometime in the next week, I'll try and get on the phone with her, and we will uh, just walk through what happened, what she noticed, what her course of action was, and uh, and hopefully by the time, you know, her and I can catch up on the phone Maybe she'll have some news for us on the success or failure or at least the progress of how things are going. And then maybe we'll follow up with her again a week or two later and see how that's going. But I just wanted to let everybody know, right, this is a critically important aspect of being a beekeeper is doing those inspections. And, and, you know, Kimberly was awesome too, right, because she did the research. A lot of people see things that they don't necessarily know what they are, and they're like, oh, well, you know, I don't know. That's kind of different, and they blow it off but she, she saw what was going on, felt like something wasn't right, did the research, reached out to her mentor, reached out to everyone she could think of to get the information that she needed. There's a ton of information available. And like I always tell people, right, if you can't find it or you don't, even, you know, you don't know where to turn, shoot me an email, right, I'll try and get you connected with somebody who can help you out. But I'm, I'm really anxious to, to kind of get her on the phone and, and have her share her story with all of you because I think it's a great learning opportunity for everyone. So we're going to try and get that teed up here in the next week or two with her and see uh, see if we can get some updates, and hopefully her colony will be, uh, will be back on track here soon. That's about all I've got right now, folks. I've got a lot, again, still teed up. I've got two or three episodes worth of content ready to go. I do have a lot of things going on here in the coming weeks, but I'm still going to do my best to stay on track with everything. As always, feel free to reach out, Jeff at beekeepingfornewbies.com. Shoot me an email. Let me know how I can help. And outside of that, I would say uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Be kind to one another, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you soon. Take care.